Morning, everybody. Good. Um, yeah. <laughs> Tepid, I would use, I would say that what welcome back to me was, but thank you. Um, brilliant. We're going to uh, uh, carry on with our Sabbath um, thing. If you're here last week, just in case you've come only because I said that Sam and I would be doing this together, and you're like, what? Sam's not doing it with Dave? You can go now if you're really angry about that. But uh, Sam, in, in kind of a way that I'm beginning to understand Sam, uh, really enjoying working with him, but he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. And then I sort of thought there's something in his voice that wasn't quite convincing. And he said, it's, it's, it's Melissa's birthday on Sunday. And they're stuck up in London and the thought of him coming down, I was like, forget it, stay in London, celebrate with your wife uh, from this week on. You're going to be living down here. So um, uh, that's a nice thing, but he completely dropped me in it, uh, which is... Uh, I will discipline him for also. Um, but so we're, we're thinking about this Sabbath thing. And if this is your first Sunday, you've got a little bit of catching up to do. Um, and you're already, even as Kath was speaking, you're probably thinking, ah, oh, Sabbath, what's that even about, perhaps? What's the angle been? What are we getting to think about? Because this week we were trying to kind of land it and begin to uh, ask ourselves the question about what the Sabbath actually um, means. So today I'm going to really concentrate on, I'm going to try to concentrate on one question that, we, uh, that I want us to come back to again and again and I want you to be mulling over and it might be a question that you take uh, away with you and think over in this week. So what might your week look like if you followed God's command to keep the Sabbath? It's quite a lot uh, in there actually because if as I've just said if you don't know what Sabbath is or you have a misunderstanding of Sabbath or if even the phrase and the thinking of it is, has negative connotation for you then this is a bad start uh, what might your week look like if you followed God's command to keep the Sabbath if you're not positive about the Sabbath then this is a really bad question isn't it the other thing that's kind of inherently deliberately put in there is, again, in our much more liberal kind of laid-back society, is probably a word that you don't, that none of, nobody likes in this room, which is, uh, what would happen if you followed God's command to keep the Sabbath? I even struggled to write that because I'm so liberal. <laughs> I wanted to write God's suggestion because he's a loving, groovy father. But that's not what the Bible says. It says time and time again. And I've spent this week looking at word searches through scripture on the word Sabbath. And um, it appears over 150 times, which for a conceptual word like this uh, to appear that often is quite astounding within scripture. From Old Testament through New Testament, that you've got, it's talked about in the commandments as we're, as we're thinking about. It's talked about in the whole kind of gathering of the Israelite people as this central practice of Sabbath. It's talked about by the prophets the prophets regularly say to the people, these are the ways that you're letting God down. These are the ways that you're not being the people of God. And regularly, within the prophetic stuff that the prophets are sent to talk to the people about, is that they're breaking the Sabbath. It's this really, really strong theme. And then we get to the New Testament. And again, a big sort of shift in the way that people are in this kind of uh, new Christian community. And yet, we see it there... Um, in the scriptures, Jesus talking about the Sabbath, the church beginning and them seemingly still uh, practicing a form of Sabbath. 
Let's look at some um, verses just as we kind of get into this understanding about the Sabbath and this potentially this need to deconstruct before you, anybody is going to be able to reconstruct your feeling about the Sabbath. That if Sabbath for you has kind of bad connotations, and I have to be careful because I know that Sabbath for me growing up in sense of uh, the Sabbath day had such a strong framework around it. I don't, I don't know what your backgrounds are. Um, for those of you who've been around long enough, you'll know um, a little bit about kind of, I came from a pretty strict religious upbringing. And the Sabbath Sunday was marked out very differently from the other days of the week. It really was. Helpful or unhelpful, it was a very different day. Um, we didn't, the, the TV wasn't allowed to go on in our house on a Sunday. Anybody brought up in that kind of, where the TV wasn't on? few people. Jill's got a hand up sitting next to her mom, that's brave. <laughs> so, so my mom and dad, well, the television was always on because it was kind of, it was still relatively kind of new technology, and my dad sold TVs in his shop, so we always had a good TV. People would come round because we had the latest VHS recorder and stuff like that, and colour. I'm not that old. Um, uh, and so the TV was a big thing in our house. And I knew people in, in the church that I grew up in who had a special cloth that covered over the TV on the Sabbath. Not that it just wasn't on, it wouldn't even exist. The other thing that I wasn't allowed to do on the Sabbath, on the Sunday, I wasn't allowed to play football. Oh. Football was the centre of my life. I wasn't going to tell you this, but I am going to tell you this story. Like one of literally, the, the, one of the moments I still hold against my parents, and I had brilliant parents, and I'm incredibly blessed by them. But one of the sharpest moments that I still find so difficult, and I still hold against my mum, bless her, Many, 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 many years later was I played for a good football team and they had a scout who came to, to watch a match we were playing in and he was from a much better team, the best boys team in my area. I could tell you various professional footballers who used to play for that team and I went for trials with them and they asked me to come and join the team. And I was absolutely over the moon. I couldn't believe that I was going to play for them. And the coach said... Um, uh, Give me your phone number because I'll need to ring your parents because uh, they'll need to sign some stuff. And I gave them the phone number. And I remember going home thinking, now, it's on a Sunday afternoon they play these games, but it's between the morning service and the evening service and the youth group I won't miss either. So I won't miss anything. So I think it'll be all right. So I went in. My mum and dad, I think they'd had this bit of an argument, and I said to them, uh, this phone call's coming uh, just so you know, and I could tell they weren't really listening to me. And I went through to the other room, and the phone rang, which was in our kitchen, and my mum answered the phone, and I listened, and she said, yes. And then I heard her say the phrase, when are the games played? And she said, sorry, no thank you, we go to church. Boom, and put the phone down. And I was so upset. It was probably the most angry and disappointed I'd ever been. And I absolutely raged at her. And she gave me no explanation other than, no, Sundays are special days. And you don't play football. So I'm bringing some baggage to you today that uh, several years of counselling um, may have to deal with. But... but so when I read that question about how do I keep the Sabbath, I think back to that thing. 
it felt that the inherent message was, it is not a fun day. There is no joy. There is no delight in this day. I always make the joke that no one was allowed to enjoy themselves in our house. And my dad used to take the swing out of the budgie cage so that it didn't enjoy itself either. <laughs> That's kind of going a bit far. But, but that was the sort of spirit. That was the message that I got. If this is going to be God's day, it's a serious, dour day. And we just need to acknowledge, or I need to acknowledge, that when I hear the word Sabbath, I'm not, I think I've moved on enough to go, I'm not against it, but it doesn't make me go, oh, if I could get a Sabbath day in this week, it would be amazing. Oh, that would be fun. There would be joy there. There would be delight there. One of the things I want to do today is just to help you turn your thoughts towards that. So it's going to take some deconstruction for some of you who think that Sabbath is a religious, um, restrictive kind of coded day or time or space. If you're going to follow, answer this question. But it is clearly a command. And I'm going to ask you in a minute to, um, to do a little bit of talking to each other, just a little bit today. But I want you to begin to unpack this kind of thing about how you feel about God's command for you to follow the Sabbath. And you'll have heard me say, because it's one of the things I repeat most often and I'm unapologetic about it, but I really do believe in this thing that there are only two theological questions that really matter. One is, does anybody, anybody tell me what I always say? What kind of God and so what? I, th I think in life, they're the only two questions that really matter. When we approach any theological issue or concept like Sabbath, the question you need to ask yourself is, what kind of God do you believe in, and so what? And I have to say, all of that stuff I was brought up with was because I believed in a God who was pretty angry with me and who somehow needed me to obey his commands to please him. So it didn't really matter that I, that I wasn't allowed to play football on, on a Sunday or I wasn't allowed to watch television because this pleases God, but I couldn't explain why. I just knew that he demanded some stuff from us and he's God. And if he demands it, you do it. And you might sit there going, well, I'm okay with that. But it is an answer to the question, what kind of God and so what? If there's a God who needs us to do stuff in order for us to be loved by him, then do that stuff. If his wrath and vengeance and anger at you can only be placated by you obeying some rules, then obey the rules. But that's not the God I believe in. I don't think it's the God that most of us in this church believe in because we believe in the God who is revealed in Christ. And, and it might even, well, it depends really. It might mess it up for you more. What would it change if, it's, if the question was, what might your week look like if you followed Jesus' command to follow the Sabbath? Because you can interplay those words. Theologically, we're allowed to do that. Because Jesus said, you look at, or, or Paul says of Jesus, look at Jesus and you see the God who can't be seen. So if it's a command, it comes from Christ and perhaps that helps us to understand that. In terms of some of the verses, we should just look at quickly before I get you to do a little bit of talking to each other. Um, we've read out the last couple of weeks the fourth commandment, where we, we see this uh, call to the Sabbath in the fourth command. You know, it's, it's, it's really up there in the list of top ten things that God wants us to do. 
And there is a kind of taxonomy, isn't there, to, the, to, to that flow. It clearly is. If you're putting, you should have no other God before him as the number one thing, it clearly is an importance within the structure of the Ten Commandments. And this is the kind of first one of how to behave towards each other and yourself. And it's the longest by a long way. And you find it in Exodus chapter 20. So I thought I'd just read a different, slightly different version that we find in Deuteronomy where the writer of Deuteronomy reflects on the Ten Commandments. And really interestingly, the writer just inserts a bit that isn't in Exodus. And I'll, when I get you there, I'll tell you which bit it is. But this is um, what, uh, what they say. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey or any other animal, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. All of that we find in Exodus 20. The next bit we don't. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. I think that's such a revealing little uh, part, that verse, where he's saying, here's all the reasons, this is how you should rest. It's not just about you, it's about your family, it's about your goods, it's about the very fabric of your community should rest. And then he says, remember what it was like in Egypt when you were slaves, when you had to work every day. You've got freedom to make a choice, make the choice to observe it. Talked about the prophets came. In, in Ezekiel it says this, Therefore I led them out of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. Again, this connecting Egypt and the freedom from it with Sabbath. I gave them my decrees and made known to them my laws by which the person who obeys them will live. Also, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between us so that they would know that I, the Lord, made them holy. Can you see what the prophet is doing linking there? I've come to give you life. There's the echo of Jesus' words here. And I'm giving you the Sabbath as a sign between us. And then in the New Testament, in Hebrews, I think these are really interesting verses. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. If you enter into this rest by command, if you do it because you have to, actually you're going to find life. And that's not a bad thing. Any parent in this room will know that sometimes you force or it feels like you're forcing your kids to do something because you're absolutely saying, you've got to trust me. This is a life-giving thing that I'm encouraging you to do. So what, the question I want you to uh, just ask each other, uh, I'm not, you're not going to have very long to do this, so don't, don't worry too much about it. But the question I want you to think about is what was God's intention, therefore, in giving us the Sabbath? If we believe in a good God and he says, observe the Sabbath, what do you think his hoped outcomes were? Does that make sense? Why did he do it? Why is he giving us the Sabbath? If you believe in a loving God, why is he telling us to observe the Sabbath? 
What did he hope the outcomes would be? Is that okay? Tricky sort of question maybe, but just chew that over. Here's God, he tells me to do this. I think he only tells us to do things that benefit us. In what ways was he hoping that we'd benefit from observing the Sabbath? Yeah? (laughs) You're making me nervous, guys, but talk to each other for three minutes uh, and see what you come up with. What was God trying to do with the Sabbath? Okay, I'm going to interrupt you there. Mark, will you be the runner? Um, let's just... Uh, Let's just take a minute to, a few minutes, just to get any feedback. What, what do you think God was trying to do in giving a Sabbath? What was his hoped outcome? Somebody, uh, let's just get a little bit of feedback to hear what kind of things we're talking about in the room. Put your hand up and Mark will run to you. <laughs> or walk. I think the thought of Mark running at you has put people off answering the question. <laughs> he will gently approach you. Any thoughts? I think you, you you need to rest, don't you? I think if I was just we were just talking a little bit about owning your own business, uh, and lots of people at that point in history might have been responsible for their own business or employing other people, mm. uh, and therefore, if you are owning your own business, that can become an all-consuming thing that takes over every aspect of your life because you working means you get money. Mm. If you don't work, you don't get money, and that's mm. kind of an issue. So therefore, having rest. And having a Sabbath and being forced in a sort of more societal, forced is the wrong word, but encouraged in a societal kind of way, mm. then that's good for you. Yeah. So you might be worse off economically. Yeah. Might be. Okay. But he's asking us to rest. What, what else? I guess because like, uh, like the, the other six days of the week, it's all about sustaining yourself, whether that's like with work or you know, doing your own stuff or like maintaining your house or your life and seeing people and friends. Um, but then it's just that one day that it's not about your life, it's about your relationship with God and remembering that it's a day for him. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really significant, isn't it? It's like every, everything I talked about my child, it was a different day. That's clear, isn't it? The, the Bible says that the Sabbath is to be holy. It says that over and over again. And I think we have a misunderstanding about the word Sabbath and we have a misunderstanding about the word holy. Holy is set apart, different. That's what the word literally means. What are you, just, what are you doing differently because of your faith, because of your relationship with God? What are you doing differently and, and how therefore could you say, this is a Sabbath because I'm doing something differently, a break from routines? Yeah. We said there was something about... Um the people of God and community, so both in a kind of church setting, having time together with God, Mm. um, but also just in a kind of general community sense, if in some parts of the world all the shops are shut and workers have time off to spend with either their families or significant others, Mm. there's something about collective Sabbath and time off that matters. And, it, and it, you can feel a bit impotent, can't you? Because you think, we're not going, there's, no, there's no, nothing we're going to be able to do as one church to get shops to go back to just opening six days a week. It's gone. The tide has sailed. 
So, so the question is, do we join in with the routine that the world has made, or do we, have our, do we create our own culture, our own routine, that is different to the world around us? Because, again, that comes back to what it means to be, to be holy, that rest of not consuming, that rest of not working, that rest that what would the world, the world what, would, what would society look like if everybody was able to take a proper day off? Would there be more issues around mental health or less? Would there be better family relationships or the worse? I think we know the answers to this stuff. So it's up to us to make our response to that. Any other thoughts? I don't know if uh, we've really acknowledged that Rob and Alicia are back as Mr. and Mrs. But they are. They got married in Australia. And they've been back a few weeks. And they've just sort of gone under the radar. But not now. I've pointed them out. Why don't we give these guys a little round of applause? talking about um, similar to what people have said about wearing work as a badge of honour like quite often these days work is seen being stressed and being so busy you can't stop and drinking lots of coffee is kind of seen as a badge of honour and it's like what happens when you take that away who are you when you're not consumed by work who are you when you're mm. that doesn't tell you who you are but then more than that we were talking about the intentional community so you can go all week with someone and have nothing but a superficial conversation about who's going to do the washing and who's going to, you know, pick the kids up from school and things like that. And it, when you take all that busyness away, you, it gives you space and time to have intentional community, which then probably, and communication, mm. probably will change the outlook in your week. Yeah, brilliant. That intentional community. There was a phrase um, that all week I've been trying to remember that I read in that Walter Brueggemann book where he talks about, um, oh God, <laughs> I'm trying to remember it, I don't know why it's so hard for me to remember this thing, but he talks about being ruthlessly intentional and then he talks about community uh, reinforcement. It needs those two things. If we're going to do, if you're going to do life differently to the world around you, you need to be ruthlessly intentional. In other words, I'm making the choice Okay, I'm going to try and get Sabbath into my life. But it also needs communal reinforcement. That actually there are other people around you saying, I'm going to do this with you. Because if they don't, if you don't get other people to do it with you, I think you're on a really uh, difficult task of this ever becoming part of your life. Okay, let's stop there. Thank you, Mark. Um, continue to sort of chew that over. We're going to finish with communion together. And I, I don't want to rush that. We are in this season of Sabbath. And I want this to be a very intentional uh, communal meal that we do together which is why I think uh, we were given communion why we were given this thing to do because it becomes this very intentional uh, moment uh, thing to do just to add a couple of things in as we uh, begin to hone in as you begin to chew over okay if these things are true what would it actually look like for me what would it look like for me to have this in my life there's a guy called Dan Allender who wrote a book called Sabbath and uh, I only discovered it this week, and it feels like I discovered it about two months too late. Because it's really interesting, um, and it's probably one of the better things that I read. It's quite, uh, has quite a lot of hyperbole in it, um, but I think it's quite helpful. Because he says this, that Sabbath is 24 hours where you get to pursue your deepest joy. That's quite interesting, isn't it? That's not the same as my upbringing. It feels like the opposite. But where God is encouraging you for a seventh of your life, what does it look like for you to 
pursue your deepest joy. He said it should be a time dedicated to delight. He really likes his alliteration. Dedicated to delight. It's holy hedonism. Holy hedonism. Where we remember that with joy who we are and the family that we're part of. And then this is the bit that I, I want to just spend a, a few moments thinking about, and I wonder whether you agree. He says it should be a day of pretense, which might sound like a really negative, weird thing. He says that a Sabbath is a day where we pretend that the world isn't how it is, but we pretend that we live in a world of the way that it's going to be. And he talks about that we need to pause and remember the leisure of Eden. I thought that was a really interesting phrase. That within the Garden of Eden, there, was, uh, there seems like there was some work, right from the off, naming the animals, this sort of uh, working with the land. But there was also the walking in the cool of the day. There was this sense of walking with God, of this unhurried time of walking with God in a garden. And that is doing something, it's not doing nothing. It has worth to it, there's purpose to it. Um, he, he says this is one of his quotes. It is a day we pretend that all is well. Our enemies are not at war with us. And the peace we will one day enjoy for eternity is an eternity that utters this day on our behalf. This sense of pretending. And you might think that doesn't sound very biblical. It really is biblical. We, we see time and time again that the Israelites are not where they should be. They're either not in the promised land because they haven't got there, yet they're asked to speak to each other about what it will be like. We then have this, these post-exilic times, or these exilic times where they're in exile, where they're in Babylon, where they're in captivity. What do they do? They sit down the Bible tells us, and they sing the songs of Zion whilst they're not in Zion. I just think that's a, a beautiful, powerful image. Here's a whole generation of people who haven't lived in their homeland, so what do they do? They teach their children, and their children teach their children about their songs from home, and they sing those songs. And they're not songs about, oh, I wish we were home, you know, like Scottish people do. Um, who <laughs> moved to England and write songs about, oh, to be back in Scotland. Um, I don't know why I picked on that. It's because I'm Scottish. I'm allowed to do that. Um, but but it's, it's not the longing to be back there. It's singing songs as though they are still there. It's much more hopeful than that. It makes me think immediately of, that, of Martin Luther King's most famous speech, uh, you know, his, his I Have a Dream speech, and it finishes with, and one day we'll be able to join in. And he talks about this great Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. He's echoing a Negro slave song. He's remembering that song that they sung to each other whilst they were in captivity. Whilst they were slaves, they were singing, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. The song wasn't, I'd love to be free at last. I'd love to be free at last. It was declaring, I am free. I am free. Can you imagine watching a chain gang with some thankless, horrible task, with slave masters watching over them, and the slaves are singing, we're free, we're free. What a subversive, powerful, beautiful thing to do. 
And to me, Sabbath time is when we do that. Sabbath time is like these times at their very best, where we gather with each other, where we talk about God and hope and love and joy and peace and justice. The language which we will speak 24-7 well, when there is no day. Because the Bible tells us when God himself will be the light, where there won't need to be morning and evening, where we will live in this place of perpetual peace and kindness and justice, where there will be no suffering, where every tear is wiped away. Sabbath time has this element of pretense within it in the very best sort of word, of pretending that the day has already come. And in doing that, it changes the way we look at the world around us. So how do we do it? How do we do this thing? Interestingly enough, I, as I left the house this morning, I was just finishing my coffee, and uh, I just was looking through the National Trust magazine. I've rarely said more a middle-class statement in my life. <laughs> as I ground my beans and read my National Trust magazine. Um, but if any of you are members of the National Trust, you'd have got this magazine. This is what it says on the front. This was written in 1883 by somebody called Octavia Hill. Octavia Hill. In 1883... She said this. She's one of the founders of the National Trust. We all want quiet. We all want beauty. We all need space. Unless we have it, we cannot reach that sense of quiet in which whispers of better things come to us gently. <laughs> Unless we have this peace, quiet, space, we cannot reach that sense of quiet in which whispers of better things come to us gently. That's Sabbath right there. Go and visit a National Trust property this afternoon. <laughs> That's Sabbath. These whispers come to us gently when we put in these routines. So how are we going to do it? We had a great conversation in our small group uh, this week. There wasn't loads of us, but we, it was just a really stimulating conversation about Sabbath. And one of the key questions, and I've deliberately kind of uh, sort of gone around it, really, is, is it 24 hours? Is it a day? Or is it different to that? And I want to tell you a very clear, definitive answer. It's both of those things. There you go. Yes and no. Because the best example I can think of is, because I want to see what Jesus has got to say about this stuff. And numerous times, uh, Jesus is called a Sabbath breaker in the New Testament. You go through it. It's a really interesting thing. When you actually look at it, you can easily read past it. But one of the key things the Pharisees tried to do was catch him breaking the Sabbath. We see it several times. It says it there in black and white. This isn't subtle. It says the Pharisees uh, closely observed him on the Sabbath to see if he'd break it. Do you know why? This sounds crazy, but this is true. They wanted to see if he'd break the Sabbath because then they could invoke the Levitical law which says if anybody breaks the Sabbath, take them outside of the city and stone them to death. Isn't it amazing? It's like, it's like catching Al Capone on his tax evasion, which is what they did. It was like, we've got to get, we've got to get this guy somehow. Let's find what might seem like a small legalistic thing, but he breaks the Sabbath. Then we get to kill this guy because we want rid of him because he's a troublemaker. Let's get him on the Sabbath things. And numerous times, they list things about Jesus, like he's a, he's a, he drinks alcohol and he's a glutton, and he hangs out with tax collectors and prostitutes. And within that list, they put, and he breaks the Sabbath. 
He's everything that religious people shouldn't be. So Jesus comes, and certainly for the religious people, they're saying he does stuff differently on the Sabbath. He doesn't hold it in the way that we've been told by the Levitical law to hold it. He heals people on the Sabbath. He doesn't mind that his disciples are picking grains of corn to eat because they're hungry. So we can certainly see this, what you might call a softening, but I'm not sure that's the right kind of outlook. The best sort of parallel, I think, is what Jesus does about giving. In the Old Testament, there is a very clear teaching on tithing. If you want to know how much you give to the temple, you give to the Lord, you give a tenth. And it's the first tenth. Whatever you earn, whatever you bring in, whatever you grow, you give a tenth. And you give it there, and you do not break that. That's one of the commands. That's one of the very strict religious rules. And Jesus comes along. He doesn't seem to live in a tithe-like way. He says, give everything away. And I have the sense that, that Jesus feels the same way about the Sabbath as he does about giving. Giving is something that's important and actually life-giving for us to do. But you don't contain it into a tenth. You give whatever you can. And I know you, want, you probably want structure, which is why we respond to authoritarian leaders and religious structure so well as human beings because just tell me how to do it and Jesus comes along and says no I want you to fill I want you to fill as much of your life with Sabbath time as you possibly can there should be at least a seventh if you want to live but if you want to really live bring in as much of the Sabbath as you possibly can giving a tenth of your of your wealth or your income or, or your worth is going to bring you life but actually giving even more will make you feel more alive, will connect you to the world and the real world around you. And I think he's saying the same about Sabbath, that it isn't about a day, it's about more than that. So what does that look like for you? It's about an attitude. It's about how generous a slice of your life can you do Sabbath stuff in it. I think we know, in fact, from the feedback we just said, we've got this glimpse of what Sabbath stuff looks like. It's about relationship with God. What do I do? I was walking here this morning and I was thinking to myself, what do I, what do, I do that really brings me to life? And then I, then I had this little voice that said, no, no, that's not what Sabbath is about. Sabbath is about the time that you spend with God. And that's the false dichotomy. The stuff that brings you to life is not, should not be different to how you connect with God and hearing the voice of God. And I was just saying to Al, you know, I'm in this terrible season I don't really know why, but I, I know of the things that give me life and I'm not doing them. I'm blaming it on the weather. You know, I, I need to get out. One of the things that this guy, Dan Allender, says is that it will inevitably have something to do with nature. I think there's an interesting thing for my studies where he says that's the way we're made. Sabbath rest will inevitably involve something to do with nature. I know that to be absolutely true for myself. I find God's presence. I hear his voice I speak to him best when I'm trudging along on the top of the downs so why is it I haven't been out for weeks and weeks and weeks oh the weather's bad I'm not feeling great practicing Sabbath is an intentional task perhaps I need to do it with other people to get me going again I don't know but I know that those things give me great joy and if I'm finding great joy the chances are I've found God how are you going to practice Sabbath in your life? And just finally, before we take communion, communally, what can we do? 
that's a question without, I'm, I'm not going to give you an answer. I'm going to say one thing that we're going to do. But I want you to think, okay, what are the communal things that we can do that bring this communal reinforcement? One of the things that we're going to do is we're going to launch something that we were going to call piecemeals um, because it sounds really good. <laughs> um, but then we've realized, those of us organizing it, that let's just call it what it is, that we're going to call it a Sabbath meal where every Friday somebody different will be hosting a meal and we'll, we'll let you know what that is. Uh, I think there's four or five different people who said we'll do a Friday and they're going to go on a rotor to do that. And so there's at least one venue every Friday that if you want to join in with some others of having a meal together, you can do that. But it will be an intentional meal. That means the food will be really good. The wine will be really good. No pressure, those of us who have said yes. And we will finish with breaking bread together. We'll finish with this intentionality that says God's in this place. But as we clear up the plates... We'll take what's left and we'll remember Christ in our midst. And it becomes a Sabbath meal. We might have talked about really stupid, daft stuff. We might have laughed a lot together. We might have cried a lot together. But it will end with Christ being in our midst, bringing that sense that this is more than just a meal. It's Sabbath. So listen out for, for those things. The other thing that we've done is we've been really intentional because we've slipped around praying for each other at the end of the, our, time, our gathered time here. So over there, um, at the end of today, uh, there will be someone who goes and sits over there, or a couple of people, who you can go and just go, I'd like to be prayed with. This sense that you're bringing Christ into your everydayness, to bring a sense that this, what we're doing, is Sabbath. It's been so helpful for me to think about Sabbath, in going, do you know what? I think I've found the place that church services fit. These are Sabbath practices, and we shouldn't be, I shouldn't be bashful about that. We're doing something very different to what's going on around us today. It's holy, it's set apart, it's different. It's about God and it's about relationship. Therefore, tick, 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 this should be Sabbath times. And if there isn't joy in this place, and if there isn't some delight, we're doing it wrong. And there isn't always, and I'm sorry for that. But there should be delight, even if it's delight in connecting with other people on a real level, where there is sadness and where there is real life. Even that, there's an element of joy that we actually connected, that real life happened in this place. So we're going to take um, communion together. And we're going to uh, just give a bit of structure. Sorry, I don't know why we didn't give this out. Can you chuck these around? Just grab one of these. And this just gives us um, a way of doing, of really feeling like we're doing something together. It's a bit of routine, it's a liturgy, but I think not an unhelpful one as we take um, communion together. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give you a little bit of space. And it could be Sabbath space if you breathe and rest and spend a few minutes in, in God's presence. Or it could just be uh, you thinking about what you've got to do the rest of today. If you boiled Sabbath down to its simplest parts, it has two parts. One is the stopping of work, and one is the partaking in rest. And, and I want us to just think about that as we uh, pause. So we're going to listen to a song that I think is beautiful, but that's irrelevant. It's just kind of background noise, and it gives us 
a little timer of four and a half minutes, however long the song is, to just pause and to be here. As the song finishes, I'm going to begin uh, reading from where it says we gather for worship and praise God. And um, it's obvious, the bits in bold we say together. And then it will lead us through until the point when I break bread and pass it amongst us. And we may sing a song somewhere in here. Is that okay? Um, I'm going to <laughs> get rid of these unsabbath-like children. I also don't like doors being open. But anyway, um, so <laughs> let's pause and breathe. And if it's helpful to listen or if it's helpful to block it out. But let's just... Uh, let me read, I feel compelled to read this. Unless we have it, unless we have quiet and beauty and space, we cannot reach that sense of quiet where whispers of better things come to us gently.